Steve Larson, in his book, Absolutely Sure, tells the story of the Titanic. When the Titanic was built, it was the largest moving vessel ever built. It was over three football fields in length. It was 11 stories high. It weighed 46,000 tons. It was called the eighth wonder of the world. On August, April the 12th, 1912, it left on its maiden voyage from Southampton, New England, or Southampton, England, to New York City. It was carrying 1,312 passengers, a crew of 912. Two days into its journey, around 9.40 at night, the Titanic received a message warning it that there were um, icebergs all around. But the operator who received the warning put the warning underneath um, a, a, some more papers and left it there. In the next couple of hours, he received five more warnings, but he ignored all of those warnings. At 11.40 p.m., the lookout spotted a, 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 an, a skyscraper-sized iceberg about 500 yards away. He sounded the alarm, but it was too late. They hit the iceberg. It put a gash in the Titanic, and six of the 16 watertight compartments were flooded. An hour later, about 12.45, the first lifeboat was lowered into the water, but it was half empty because most of the crew and most of the passengers refused to believe that the Titanic could sink. But sink it did. And when it was all over, 1,471 people lost their lives. When the news of this tragedy was telegraphed in New York City, people began to gather outside the office of the White Star Shipping Line, which owned the Titanic. And as they posted names outside of the offices of that shipping line, the only thing that mattered was whether the people they loved were saved or lost, alive or dead. This morning, we're beginning a new series that we've entitled The Walking Dead. In case you don't know, The Walking Dead is a TV series about a group that is led by Sheriff's Deputy Rick Grimes, and they are seeking to survive in a land that's been overrun by zombies. The Walking Dead. And these dead people can, can see, they can hear, they can walk, but they're dead. And as they see and, and as they hear and as they walk, they crave. And their craving is for human flesh. It seems that, that this kind of show, this kind of movie has become extremely popular today. There's the Day of the Dead, the Dawn of the Dead, Resident Evil, I Am Legend. The, the most recent is World War Z. There's even been some comedies about zombies, Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead. In every one of these, there's a cataclysmic event. There is a virus that kills people. But even though they're dead, they still exist. They are the walking dead existing without really living. Now, here's the truth. And I want you to understand this. Every one of us, begins this life as part of the walking dead. Every one of us. You begin life as the walking, crawling dead. I begin life as the walking, crawling dead. 
Listen to what God's Word says. First of all, in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I want you to stop right there. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, when you were dead in your sins. Now don't, don't miss what Paul says there. Because he says that each and every one of us are dead. We are physically alive. We are breathing human beings, but spiritually we are dead. We are born that way. Spiritually, we are the walking dead. People who can see, people who can hear, people who can walk. And we have one reason for existence. We have one reason for living, and that is to feed the cravings of our sinful flesh. Now, I want you to go back with me and read the rest of those two passages. Ephesians chapter 2 goes on to say this, But, but, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgressions. Listen to what it says in Colossians. God made you alive in Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that, that we were dead, but then something happened. God did a work in our lives. He, he performed a cure. He administered the antivirus to us, the blood of Jesus. And all of a sudden, for the first time in our lives, we are alive. We are really alive. We're not just living existing, but we are living the way that God created us to live in the first place. Now, here's the tragedy. Many, if not most, believe they're alive when in reality they are still the walking dead. Now, let me say that again. Many, if not most, believe that they're alive but in reality, they're dead. They are the walking dead. I want you to listen to what Jesus said to a group of people who belonged to the church in Sardis in, in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said this. He said, listen to what I say. I know what you are doing. Everyone may think you were alive, but you are dead. Now, don't miss what Jesus says. He said, everyone thinks that you were alive. You even think that you were alive, but you're not. You're dead. Now, understand, there is nothing more dangerous than to be a part of the walking dead. Thinking that you were alive when in reality, you're dead. You see, the most important thing in the world is to know that, that you're alive. To know that you're saved, your sins have been Forgiven, you are in the land of the living. Unfortunately, what I've discovered is that many people, and, and I do believe most people, are confused when it comes to this important truth. There are some who struggle with, with doubts all their lives. There are other people who really believe they're saved. They really believe that they are alive when in reality they're lost. They're spiritually dead, heading into eternity separated from Christ. That is why for the next seven weeks, we're going to spend some time in the book of 1 John. Now, now you will find this book in the, in the back of your Bible. If you go to the back of your Bible, 
You turn past Revelation, you turn past Jude, you turn past 3 John and 2 John, you will be there. 1 John is where we're going to camp out for the next seven weeks. Now, now 1 John was written by John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he, he also wrote 2 and 3 John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And even though this book has only five chapters... It is filled with spiritual truth. Now, John's primary purpose for writing is to give us the vital signs of spiritual life. You see, just as there are vital signs that we can take to prove that that we are alive physically, there are vital signs that we can take that prove that, that we are alive spiritually. Just as there are vital signs that give evidence of physical life, There are vital signs that give evidence of spiritual life. Now understand, these vital signs are simply indicators. They don't cause life, they report life. When you you take someone's pulse, the pulse isn't what makes them alive. The pulse simply reveals that they are alive. When you read someone's heart, the the readings do not make that person alive. They simply reveal that that person is alive. When you do a brain scan and you see that the brain is functioning, that doesn't make the person alive. That simply shows that they are alive. Now, if these vital signs are present in your life, then you can know you're saved. You can know that you're going to heaven. But if they are absent, then regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you believe that you've done, you aren't really saved. And and you will not spend eternity in heaven. And I want you to listen again. If these vital signs are absent in your life, regardless of what you say, regardless of what you believe, then you are lost You are not a part of the land of the living. And so that's why it's so important for you and I to evaluate our spiritual lives, to to see whether we're really alive. Paul said that in, in 2 Corinthians 13. Listen to what he said. He said, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, You failed the test. And and I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. Now, notice what Paul says. He says that we are to examine ourselves. We are to test ourselves. Each one of us needs to put our faith to the test to see if it's a saving faith, to see if it's a genuine faith. You see, tests aren't given to show or to prove insecurity. Tests are given so that we can be secure in what we know. And when we take a test biblically, the test isn't given to make us insecure. The test is given so that we can go through life absolutely secure. Now, unfortunately, the Bible teaches that there are many people that when they stand before the Lord Jesus one day, they are not going to have passed the test. Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Winner the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now don't miss what Jesus said. He said these people know the facts. They know that Jesus is Lord. They've prayed a prayer. They've they've said, Lord, Lord. They've served in ministry. An example is is prophesying in, in Jesus' name. And they've even been able to perform miracles and cast out demons. I mean, these people were the cream of the crop. They were at the top of the class. And yet Jesus said, when they stand before me, I will say, I never Knew you. You see, these people are living self-deceived lives. They believe that they're alive when in reality they're dead. There was a 2011 Barna study and it showed that 50% of Americans have prayed some kind of sinner, sinner's prayer asking Jesus to forgive them. 50% of Americans. And yet of that 50% who prayed... Less than 50% of them were involved in any kind of local church. And hardly any of them had a worldview or a lifestyle that was any different than the world. In the same chapter where Jesus said, not everyone will say to me, Lord, Lord, Jesus said this. He said, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, their lives should produce fruit that gives evidence of the fact that they're alive, that they've been born again. That's why we need to heed the words of Solomon in Proverbs 14. He said there's a way that that seems right to a man, but in the end, it, it, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right. There's a way that that the many take. There's a path that they're on, and the majority of people, even, even the majority of church people, are on this path, and and it seems right, it looks right, it feels right, but it's not right. And in the end, it leads to death. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that our churches are filled with people who have joined the church, but they've never been born into God's family. They know the facts about Jesus, but they've never placed their faith in Jesus. They they believe in Jesus with their heads, but they've never believed in Jesus with their heart. They they professed him with their mouth, but they don't possess him in their life. I, I think of people like Stella Willard. Stella Willard was 80 years old when she walked forward in a church service. And and she said, Pastor, I need to get saved. And Miss Stella had been in church every single Sunday I was there, except for when she was sick. She had been raised in that church, and she had been a part of that church since she was a a, a child. She had joined when she was a child. And now she was 80 years old. She was walking down the aisle, and she was saying, I need to get saved. And I talked to Miss Stella, I prayed with Miss Stella, and I said, Miss Stella, you know, you need to go home and pray about this because, you know, I really do believe you were probably saved before. And she said, I was lost. I got saved today. 
I think about people like, um, like Ann Gillian who, who sang in the choir. She, she taught a, a children's Sunday school class. She was involved in the women's missionary movement. I mean, everything we had at church, she was there. And one Sunday, she walked down. She was sobbing so strongly that I, I couldn't even understand what she was saying. And as I was able to hear and understand, she said, I need to be saved. And that day, she gave her heart and life to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, she changed. She didn't come to church anymore. You couldn't come more than she came. She wasn't more involved. She was really involved. But she changed. Her attitude changed. Her, her countenance changed. Everything about her changed. I think about Brad Goodell, who's pastoring the, the fastest growing, largest church in Union County. And I think about how one Sunday he came forward, he and his wife, and Brad said, I need to give my life to Jesus. And Brad had grown up in a good family. His, his mom was very actively involved in another church in the town, and, and she raised him going to church, and he went to church. But that day, he gave his life to Jesus, and his life was changed. He thought God was calling him into a career in the military, and, and he served in a variety of ways in special forces. But when he served his term and he got out, he prepared himself to do what he knew God was calling him to do, and, and that's to preach and teach the good news of Jesus. Jesus changed his life. You see, evidently, John realized that, that what happens today with people was even happening then. And so he wrote the book of 1 John to the church so that he could let people know, here's what a genuine Christian looks like. Here's what a legitimate believer looks like. But understand, John was not only writing this book because of, of counterfeit Christians, those those who thought they were saved but they weren't, he was also writing because of doubting Christians. You see... I believe that there are many who really do love the Lord. They've really given their hearts and their lives to Him. And, and yet they're not living with that certainty that they'll go to heaven when they die. Their, their lives are filled with doubts that keep them from, from ever really experiencing life to its fullest like Jesus says we can have. And God doesn't want us to go through this journey called life doubting each and every week or, or every time we have a struggle, we doubt, we wonder, was I really saved? So as we begin the study of this book this morning, what I want us to do is, is begin by looking at the key verse that I believe explains John's purpose in writing. It's, it's found in chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John 5, verse 13. Listen to what John says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, there are three key words in this verse that are extremely important if we're going to understand what John is saying and John's purpose in writing the book of 1 John. The word write, the word believe, and the word know. And if we 
understand these words correctly, then we can understand more fully, more deeply, the meaning and the purpose of the the book of 1 John. Now let's begin with the word know. You see what John is saying is that you can know that you have eternal life. You can know that. Now the word know is not only the key word in this verse, it's the key word in the entire epistle of 1 John. It is found 41 times in this five-chapter book. 41 times. Now the word know means to to perceive, to understand. It, It refers to a settled confidence. God says that that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have eternal life, that we're going to spend eternity in heaven. He doesn't say, I write this to you so that you can hope you have eternal life. He, He doesn't say, I write this to you so that you can wish you have eternal life. He he doesn't say, I write this to you so that you can guess that you have eternal life. No, John says, I am writing to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. You see, God never intended eternal life to be ended with a question mark. God intended eternal life to be ended with an exclamation point. I I want you to listen to some other ways that, that this word know is used in 1 John. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says this. This is how we know we are in him. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Chapter 3, verse 19. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. Chapter 3, verse 24. And this is how we know that he lives in us. Chapter 4, verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us. Now, notice what it is that we know. We know that we have eternal life. Don't, that word eternal life implies both a quantity and a quality of life. The quantity of eternal life is forever. It is never ending. It never wears out. It never needs to be replaced. It can never be taken away. Now, there are some people today who believe and teach that you can lose your salvation. But listen, the Bible teaches that we are not only saved by grace, we stay saved by grace. Our salvation is not dependent upon our ability to live a perfect life. It's dependent upon our Lord's ability to express perfect love. You need to understand that that when you surrendered your life to Jesus, it's not about you holding on to him. It's about him holding on to you. Let me give you a few more verses. John chapter 10. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus is saying that when I give someone eternal life, I take my hands and I wrap them around that person and I hold on to them and no one can snatch them out. But then to give it added clarity, he says the Father comes along and wraps his arms around my arms and holds on too. So I'm holding on, the Father's holding on, and no one is going to be able to snatch you out of our hands. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, it says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. We've entrusted what to him for that day? Our salvation. 
And we're convinced that he is able to guard it and keep it. Jude chapter 1 verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Who is it that keeps us from falling? Is it you? No. He is the one who keeps us from falling. So eternal life is a quantity of life. It's eternal, it's never-ending, and it can never be lost. But eternal life is not only a quantity, it is a quality of life. Jesus said this in John 10, verse 10. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullest. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that even many believers aren't living life to its fullest. If we as believers... We're living life to its fullest. The way God intended us to. With reckless faith in him. And I did say reckless faith in him. If we were living that way. Enjoying life to its fullest. Not worried about anything. Because we know he holds everything. I'm here to tell you. The lost world would take notice. So he says, I'm here to tell you, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. A life that is never ending and a life that is better than any life you could ever experience anywhere else. Now the next word is the word right. You see, eternal life is not based on feelings. It's based upon facts that are written down and recorded in God's Word. In other words, our assurance is found on the pages of God's Word. Our, Our eternal life isn't based upon feelings, how I feel. It's based upon the facts recorded in this book. If I want to know how I can know, it's found in this book. My feelings can deceive me. They can be wrong. But this book is true. If your Bible is open, I want you to look at 1 John 5 again, verse 9. In verse 9 it says, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God. Then he goes on later on and he says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. And then he sums it up by saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, we can know that we are saved because of the testimony that God gives us in his word. Now, I grew up watching courtroom dramas. Shows like Perry Mason, Matlock. Do you remember any of those shows? Man, I enjoyed those shows, and, and occasionally I, I will sit down at night at 10 and 11, and, and Matlock comes on some channel, and I'll flip that on, and, and I'll still watch that show at times. And, and if you've ever watched those shows, and I'm not sure what they do in court today, but if you ever watch those shows, they will always begin when they put someone on the witness stand by saying these words, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And you're swearing swearing to tell the truth when you give a testimony. Now, what John is saying is that we believe man's testimony about Jesus, but, but understand man's testimony pales in comparison to God's testimony. 
And God's testimony about eternal life is what is recorded on the pages of this book. And so this is what John is saying. John is saying, if I want to know that I have eternal life, I I want to have that settled confidence, I want to have that assurance, then the first thing I've got to do is I've got to believe the Bible is really God's Word. I've got to believe what it says about salvation. And so let me ask you, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but do you believe the Bible? Do you trust what God says in his word? You see, our assurance isn't based on an emotional feeling. Our assurance is based upon the fact of what God says in his word. I love the words of Martin Luther. They were penned into a song. He said this, he said, Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, naught else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. You see, the key question is not what do I think. The key question is not how do I feel. The key question is what does the Bible say? If we base our assurance on our feelings or emotions, we're going to be on a spiritual roller coaster constantly going up and down because our feelings are constantly changing. But if our assurance is based in what this word teaches, then we can have that settled assurance that we're saved and going to heaven for years. I struggled with doubts. I mean, I I questioned whether I was saved. And and I would go to events and I would pray the sinner's prayer again. Some of you have been like that. I mean, I probably got saved at, at six, seven student camps. I probably got saved at VBS seven, eight times. I probably got saved in 36 crusades. I, I mean, because every time I would go, I would go, boy, am I really saved. And, and, and the reason is I was struggling because I, I was basing my salvation on how I felt. And, and when my feelings were up and, and I felt really close to God, man, I felt saved. But when my feelings were kind of down and I didn't feel close to God, I, I wondered, am I really, really saved? So the first word is no. We can know that we have eternal life. The second word is right. The way that we know is written and recorded in this book, the Bible. And, and particularly in 1 John, we're giving those vital signs that we can, we can check out to see whether we're really saved or not. But then the third word I want us to look at is, is the word believe. You see, our assurance is based upon our belief in the Son of God, Jesus. You see, not everyone is going to heaven because not everyone believes or is chosen to believe in Jesus. Now, our problem is we misunderstand that word belief. We see belief as, as intellectual knowledge, but, but the biblical word means so much more than that. The word means to trust, and the word means to commit. Someone said it this way, and I I think it's an incredible description. They said, belief is responding to Christ with my mind, 
my emotions, and my will. It's responding to Christ with my mind, my emotions, and my will, my entire being. With my mind, I must know the essential truths of the gospel. With my mind, I must know that I am a sinner. With my mind, I must know that Jesus is the perfect Son of God. I must know that Jesus alone died on the cross. I must know that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Those are the things that I must know with my mind. With my emotions, I must be convinced of my need. And I must be persuaded that my only hope for eternal life is found in Jesus. So my emotions become involved when, when I'm convinced, when I'm persuaded. And then with my will, I must commit myself to Christ alone. I must be willing to turn from my sin and give my life to Christ. He must become the reigning Lord, the, the reigning king of my life. You see, it's more than intellectual knowledge. It's more than emotional feeling. It's a choice of the will. Then unfortunately, what I've discovered is that many people today are holding on to a superficial faith that will not save. James chapter 2 verse 19, James said, you believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. I mean, they're terrified. I mean, the demons believe in God. They know who God is and they're afraid of him. I mean, there are some people today that say they believe in God and they're not afraid of them. If you're not afraid of God, you don't know God's power. Now, and it's not a fear that causes us to, to be crippled. It's a fear that causes us to be certain and confident in our relationship with Him. But it's a fear that, that causes us to never take lightly who He is. You see, the Bible says that Satan believes everything that we believe about Jesus. And, and, and he knows more about Jesus than anyone in this room. And yet he's not going to heaven. You believe there's one God? Good. The demons believe. Satan believes. And, and even shudders, even trembles. But then Jesus recorded some interesting words in John 2. I want you to listen to what it says. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing, Jesus. And believed in his name. Now let me start there. Many saw the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing. And they believed in his name. That sounds pretty good doesn't it? But I want you to notice what it goes on to say in verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all men. You say Rocky what does that say? Well, they saw the miraculous signs, and they believed with their head. They knew that this Jesus, who was doing these miracles, could do things for them. And they decided, we're going to believe in him because he can do things for us. But... Jesus never entrusted himself to them. What is that saying? In other words, Jesus never gave himself to them. They believed with their head, but his spirit never went into their heart. And they were never saved. 
You see, you need to understand today that we can believe all of these facts. We can pray all of these prayers. We can give all kind of monies and ha- money and have all kind of service. But if we haven't been transformed by the power of God, we haven't been born into the land of the living, then we're not saved. What about you? The greatest tragedy is to go through this life believing we're alive and yet be dead. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're wondering, am I really saved? Well, well, there's really only a couple of reasons that you're struggling right now. One is that you're confused about your salvation. And you need to realize that if you've really been born again, you can't lose that. But maybe, just maybe, your doubts and your questions are coming because you've never been saved. There's never been a change in your life that began at a point in time and it's never gone away. You see, when Jesus comes to live in our life, he never leaves. He never goes away. And though there may be ups and downs in our life and there may be times when we struggle with decisions and we make poor choices, if we're saved, Jesus is living in us. He's changed us from the inside out. And I'm here to tell you more than anything else in life, you want to love him, you want to serve him, you want to follow him. And if the heartbeat of your life isn't Jesus, then chances are your heart isn't beating spiritually. I don't want to use scare tactics. But I'm just here to tell you, not everybody in this room is going to heaven. You can say, Rocky, you're being judgmental. You're being arrogant. No, I'm not. I'm just playing the odds. I'm playing the odds. I just know that there are many of us here, most likely, who prayed a prayer and believe just because we prayed that prayer, we're going to heaven. But nothing's ever changed. There are others of us that have changed. We've changed habits. We've started going to church and doing some good things, and we've stopped doing some bad things. Some habits have changed, but we know, we really do know, deep down inside, nothing's changed. My changes have all been external. They're not internal. And we're lost. We're the walking dead. Jesus changes lives. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the change that occurs. The signs that are evident when we're alive with Christ. Now I want you to bow your head. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I would be amiss 
if I didn't share an invitation this morning. Because I believe with all my heart, there's some of us here who know that we need to give our heart and life to Jesus. Our heart is pounding right now, and we're wondering why. It's because we need to give our life to Jesus. There may be some of you that feel nothing. I I can't address that, but if you're here and you're going, "I, I really do believe there's something I need to do, you need to give your life to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working on you, drawing you to himself, but you've got to choose. You've got to respond. And so if you're here and that's what you need to do today, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. But it's not praying a prayer. It's meaning what you say to God with all your heart right now. And if you call upon him with an honest heart, he'll hear you and he'll save you. And and so if that's where you're at, just come to him right now and, and say this with an honest heart. Dear God, I need you. I don't have that assurance. Whenever someone talks about assurance and talks about things like this, I have these questions and and I want that assurance. I know I'm a sinner. I know that the very best I can do will never get me to heaven. I got to stop trying. Jesus, I know that you came to this earth. You died on the cross to pay for my sin. Right now, I'm placing my trust in you. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you to guide me. I believe that you are God and I'm going to follow you. Change me, Lord, from the inside out, I pray. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer just then and you really meant it, I mean, you really meant it, Then with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Others, raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. I want everyone to look at me right now. If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, here's what I want you to do. On the back of that card that Pastor David was talking about, I want you to put on there, I pray today. To become a lifelong follower of Jesus. Because if you prayed that prayer and you meant it. Then we want to help you understand what your next steps are. Because you've begun life with Jesus. A life that is to be directed by obedience. And we want to help you with that. And so let me encourage you to just check that box. I prayed today to become a lifelong follower of Jesus. So that we can follow up with you and help you. Well, let me pray, and then we're going to continue to worship through our tithes and offerings. Lord God, I thank you for the privilege of giving. I pray, Lord, that you will use what we give to bring glory and honor to your name. Use it so that, Father, we can be faithful in completing the task you've given us, the task 
of sharing the good news with our neighbors, with our state, with our nation, and our world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.